join. Game on, everybody. It's the throwback. Jake Seeley, Brad Ziegler. Follow Brad at Brad Ziegler. Uh, you know, I'm at All and Kid. I'll hope you know, but and hopefully you do know as well. Over that athletic, we have our full fantasy football. Well, full is not the right word, actually. The fantasy football draft kit is out, and we're adding to it almost daily, definitely weekly. Uh, we're actually going to talk about something that was added this week, as a matter of fact. But we have you covered from Dynasty all the way through Redraft, through advice articles with strategy of sleepers, don't draft list, all sorts of good stuff. And like I said, stuff is coming out every single week. Emery Hunt has something coming out with Emery is one of the best in the business, so make sure you check out his. But if you go over there, most of the articles, check them out. Scroll to the bottom if you're not a subscriber already. 30 days free, 50% off a full year, which is the one I would take advantage of if I were you. I don't know how long that's going to last, so make sure you go check that out. Uh, but as we said, like part of it is bold predictions, which mine came out this week. I did one for every single team. People are already raging out about them, uh, Brad, which is no surprise. It's funny that you know you put this giant intro in the front part saying, hey, bold predictions are tough because you don't want to be too weak and say, oh, Daniel Jones will be a QB1. Well, if you look at his per-game basis last year, he was a QB1 on a per-game basis, so is that really bold? But then if you go too bold, people are oh, you're out of your damn mind. What the hell are you thinking? And then people don't read the explanation of how they happen. But we're going to get to that because the biggest news since the last time you and I talked was actually not bold predictions, not fantasy-wise for strategy and drafting a season, although it does bring up draft in a specific way. Debo Samuel, the injury comes out. That's a that's a killer for a lot of people. Uh, before we get to what are you doing with the Debo Samuel news for the rest of the people on the team, what were you initially expecting of him, a wide receiver two this year, and where would you now draft him, not knowing if he's back by the end of September, early September, possibly October, November? They've talked about this injury before ruining. This is Trent Taylor just last year. It like reoccurrence, 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 and he misses the entire season, Brad. Essentially. Yeah, and he, I mean, this is a guy who who came on so strong at the end of the year. I mean, the, you watch the way they used him in the Super Bowl, and you just feel like this guy is going to be an absolute superstar. They were giving him handoffs, running the ball in reverses, jet sweeps, getting him the ball as many times as they could in the passing game. It was like this, he felt like the focal point of their offense on a team that all season long just ran the ball like crazy. And they were winning a lot of that game and, and you know, up up 10 points deep into the fourth quarter. So there, there was no reason to force the ball to a wide receiver, and yet he was. It was almost like he was just unguardable. And so, from an explosiveness standpoint, you worry this Jones fracture thing can can be tough when you when you research it a little bit. Um, you know, they say eight to twelve weeks. I, I saw from the day from the day of his surgery, exactly twelve weeks is like the day before the the first game, the Chief Texans opener, and so a full twelve weeks. Puts him theoretically ready for week one, but how much can he do up to that point to get in shape, to get ready? I don't know. It's, it's, and it also, there's a, like a 15 to 20% chance of re-injury with this injury too, um, which would be devastating long-term. Like that's from a dynasty standpoint, that scares you the most because if he re-injures it, the, the success rate coming back is way lower. And so um, you hope that they just slow play it, even if he has to miss a month. If he misses a month of the season, I would I would barely downgrade him at all because I feel like at that point they're going slow with it. They're making sure he's healthy before he gets back out there. He's probably going to be his normal explosive self the last 12 games. But if if they try to get him back by week one, then I'm, I'm a lot more leery at that point that he's not going to make it through the season. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, prior to the injury, I, I definitely saw him as like a low end wide receiver too, with all kinds of upside. And now, you know, he finished, I think last year finished as a wide receiver 36 and it, as a rookie, as a guy who di- wasn't even he- that heavily involved early in the season. And it just feels like, you know, a- as a-, a fan of a guy, you, it kind of is a little bit of a gut punch. Like, Oh my gosh, I have no idea how this is going to affect the rest of his career. Yeah, well, you know how much of a fan I was, except for his stupid answer at the Combine when he told me he didn't know what his most underrated skill was. But uh, to your point, he was actually a wide receiver 30, only one single-digit performance from Week 10 through the end of this fantasy season. If you played in Week 17, which you shouldn't anyway, but if you did, you got 22 points from him. So it was a a nice finish on top of that. But for Inside Injuries, who covers a lot for us as well— they were tweeting about this when it happened. It basically, a Jones fracture, I'm reading straight from one of their tweets, a Jones fracture is a term to describe a fracture to the fifth metatarsal at the base of the bone. So the reason that's so slow to heal is a specific part of the midfoot gets poor blood flow. So they go on to talk about it and say Marvin Jones, Julio Jones. What's with the Joneses here? Uh, a, a lot of other wide receivers have had it happen, but the fact is, is this is what, to your point about the re-injury and all that type of stuff. So the quickest you can come back is six weeks, but no athlete should ever return in, in fewer than eight. And as a best case scenario, they would say what you just said, the start of the season, but the more likely scenario is to make sure if the team is smart and Debo is smart for his career, given the fact that he has had injuries in college as well, that he should miss the start of the season and look more like mid to late September. So where would you be willing to gamble on him now, if at all? I mean, how far does he have to fall? Obviously, it's all relative, and you can say, oh, I want him as my wide receiver four. But you know, what's the round where he would be sitting there and you would say, okay, now I'm gambling on Debo because I know who he could be once he's healthy? Yeah, I think that's that's probably like the seventh round or so for me. Maybe the sixth, you know, just, just depending on who's left, what's there. There's obviously he's going to have way more upside than a lot of other people you're taking in that round. Um, but if he's taken before that, it's just too much risk for me. And I I need to to build the the top core of my team around guys with with little little to no risk. And then I'll take all my upside risk later in the draft. And I want my first five or six picks uh, to to be guys like I, I'm even leery of taking guys that you know Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon that that may be holdouts, even potentially Alvin Kamara. I haven't heard anything with him, but he's in the same draft class as those guys. So, so it, you know, it, it's always possible. Um, I'm leery about taking those guys right now because there is risk. Debo presents way more risk than those guys, even because those guys are healthy. It's just that, you know, for them, it's a contract deal. Debo at any moment, I mean, he might go back out on the field, play two snaps and be done for the year after that. Like it, it's, it's, there is that possibility, and in theory, there's that possibility with everybody. But there's there's just an increased possibility of a guy who has a, a an injury that has shown there is a high probability of of re injury. And so, um, gets when it gets to the the sixth seventh round, I might take a flyer on him, um, especially if I've loaded up at running back and I need some some boost at wide receiver and and take a shot on a guy with some massive upside. Then yeah, that's probably about the right range. Yeah, and so to kind of tie this into the bold predictions, <laughs> well, for one thing, is this, this team is really unfortunate when it comes to wide receivers. I mean, Ayuk, who's coming out of college with injury concerns, heard missed the entire season last year. Uh, who else? We got Trent Taylor we just talked about. Uh, Kendrick Bourne <laughs> is the only guy who's really played games, but he's played twice the past two seasons, a full season, and then missed a few in the first season. I don't know if it's injury-related or just wasn't getting on the field much, but a lot of injuries here. 
And to tie this into the bowl predictions, this was, wasn't wasn't one of the ones that you had picked out. Uh, for everybody out there, I asked Brad to pick out two or three that he was in full agreement with, and two or three that he hated. And like many of you, that was the easy part was finding the ones that he hated. Yeah, but. finding the ones you hate is easy. It's like 20, <laughs> 29 of them, twenty nine of the thirty bold predictions, or whatever. Yeah, twenty nine yeah, of, of the thirty two bold predictions. It's like, yeah, yeah, I hate those. So with with Ayuk, like everybody is immediately going to him, and that's understandable. Like given his talent, if it wasn't for an injury concern, he probably would have went higher in the NFL draft. Uh, sounds like everything is great. He's a hundred percent, and everything like passed all the checks that they were concerned about. So he's the easy one. But I said that the bold prediction for the 49ers was that Jalen Hurd would be the top twenty-five wide receiver because people have quickly quickly forgotten about Hurd from last year's draft because he missed the entire rookie season because and it's a back injury. So you know that's concerning as well. But he's had a lot of time off. The thing that I wrote about Hurd last year, and he was down in tier three of wide receivers because of this reason only, Brad. He's converting from running back, and he's converting from running back. That means he's still learning how to run routes, especially at an NFL level, and to be that precise. But at the same time, similar to somebody who I've brought up on the show to you, back with Chris a lot on this show, is Marquise Lee, who came out of college and was so much better than everybody else in college that he didn't run routes well, and it took him a few years to develop. And once he did, he started to break out before he got hurt. Heard, I think, is a little bit smarter than that in trying to develop quicker than Marquise Lee was. The dude's 6'5", 230. He used to be a running back. He converted from running back because he's 6'5", 230. And he's like, he's actually very similar to Debo after the catch. Like, he's that dangerous. This is somebody with the running back mindset. And of course, if you ask me, Brad, today, who am I going to put money on, Ayuk or Heard? I would take Ayuk. But. I think it's conceivable that we're talking about somebody who does have a year of least being on the team and in the training room and seeing film and working with the team. I mean, even if he's just standing on the sideline, he's out there of somebody who is in a second quote unquote season because he missed his entire first year that people are for at least at least start taking dart throws on Jalen Hurd and don't forget about him. Yeah, for sure. It's I mean, there's there's upside there for sure. He's not a fast runner. Like he's going to beat guys with with technicality and he's going to beat guys with his size. Um, you know, I think he ran it was if I remember right, it's like a 47 almost in, in in his 40. Like that's not fast in any sense of the word for a wide receiver, but he's he's going to be 7 inches taller than the majority of guys guarding him. And so so there there's opportunity there especially in the red zone to be um, you know, to, to be a big time weapon for the 49ers. And right now they need it. Like there's, I've, I don't understand. Like I saw reports about the Seahawks and the Ravens being interested in Antonio Brown, people talking about Josh Gordon as a possibility. Some of these, you know, even like a Des Bryant, like some of these high risk receivers that, that are, you know, you're like, ah, they might be kind of washed up. Why aren't the 49ers potentially just trying to grab one of these guys? Right. Because they're, I mean, you look at their depth chart and it's, it makes you nervous because, there's there's not there's not anybody there that you're like oh yeah that's definitely their guy I mean they're so so Debo's hurt let's say he doesn't start the year healthy you got Jalen Hurd who missed his entire rookie season with a stress fracture in his back Brandon Ayuk who was a raw athletic project but he's not probably in theory not ready to be a number one on a, on an NFL team Kendrick Agreed. Bourne is is I mean he's basically a one trick pony he's a deep threat and that's about the extent of it and then you've got Richie James who. Did he break his hand or his wrist or something too? One of the one of the other receivers <laughs> broke their wrist the same like day Debo got hurt. Yeah, and <laughs> then Dante Pettis, who was everybody's darling last year and and was completely terrible. Like there, there's just there is nobody. And Trent Taylor. There. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. It just I mean it's it's just a whole bunch of guys. It's like 
I don't like any of these guys, and I don't want to put any of them in my starting lineup. None of them will be in my starting lineup week one. And if that's so, if that's the case, why wouldn't they, you know, at least look at a Des Bryant, a a you know maybe Antonio Brown? Antonio Brown will probably want more than what they would want to give if they think. Debo's going to be back. And you keep saying it. Antonio Brown's out for at least six to eight games, depending on... I mean, if once he comes back, he's still not playing. <laughs> he's Yeah, he's going to get suspended. So it's... it's you know, there, but take take a shot on somebody because they have a, a team that is built to win right now. They were a Super Bowl team. They they a lot of people think they are still one of the elite teams in the in the NFC. So at that point, why like why run the risk of of running nobody out there? You know who's still out there, and maybe uh, it, well, he might just be toast at this point, the way that he looked last year. But Demarius Thomas is only what thirty two, if I remember correctly, somewhere around there. I mean. He's still out there. He's still lingering. Sure. I, don't, I don't know if he's completely done. I mean, he definitely looked that way last. But they took a flyer on Travis Benjamin. If you're going to take a flyer on Travis Benjamin, why not just see if Demarius Thomas has anything left in the tank? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's there's got to be, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be somebody out there who's who is still a, a possibility. <laughs> is it? I mean, I, I, there's, and a lot of guys, you know, have signed. It's, I mean, I mean, it's if Travis just, Benjamin is on their roster, <laughs> Travis yeah, Benjamin has true. a job. That's true. Like you're, you're desperate <laughs> at that point. But, you know, even like a, a Tavon you know, Austin, Trail Inman or somebody. Yeah, like somebody with some athleticism. That I think Inman's the, on a roster. Is he? Is oh, he? gosh. Oh, no, know. he's not. But he's fine. Feel, yeah, he'll be picked up at some. He'll be, the Chargers will pick him back up again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pierre. <laughs> let's see. Pierre Garcon. I don't, I don't know. I, no, that ain't going way too back. Yeah, it's it's just I don't know. It just seems like there's got to be somebody out there. I'm trying to look now. Paul Richardson, he's 28 years old. Taylor Gabriel's still unsigned. Chester Rogers. These at least these guys have had flashes. Like, how are the 49ers not adding somebody to that room? Well, I think even Demarius Thomas, everybody we just mentioned, uh, they're all hurt. <laughs> they have been hurt. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, sure. DVR threw out uh, AJ Green as a trade candidate. That would make a lot of sense. This yeah, Cincinnati Bengals are going to surprise. We got. I'm putting Cincinnati Bengals on the docket for next week. We're going to talk about them as a whole. I think they're uh, they could be fun and fancy and surprising. But um, all right. So speaking of rookies, speaking of wide receivers, Adam Kaplan said, "Hey, this is here's a perfect example, Brad. I don't think this is a bold prediction, and this is why I didn't put it in there. This was not my Philadelphia Eagles bold prediction to say this. I actually went another level with Jalen Rager." is Adam Kaplan said Rager leads Philly in receptions and snaps. He didn't say yards. He said receptions and snaps. That's what I'm saying. That's not bold, Brad. Like, Alshon Jeffrey's questionable to start the year. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, who knows, speaking of somebody who knows what has anything left in injuries at this point, and then you go down that roster, they have, what, Marquise Goodwin that they brought in a trade, and they drafted two clones of him in Hightower and uh, uh, Quez Watkins. So, to say Rager is going to lead the team, I, I don't think is bold. So where I took it and I say is bold is he's going to be a top twenty-five wide receiver. Yeah, sure, and 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 I wonder. It makes me wonder if the uh, if the Forty ers regret that Marquise Goodwin trade because they they probably really like to have him <laughs> back right now, um, which is which is funny to say. But yeah, like it and it's it's these kind of things that I this is where I don't understand. Like Roto World takes something that a beat writer says and runs with it, and and it's like. As if that beat writer has inside information, and I realize Adam Kaplan's not like exclusive to any team or anything, but it's, this is somebody just making a prediction, and then all of a sudden it's a, it's going across the fantasy wire like 
like this it's is news. something that might happen. Yeah, and and at that point, it, ADPs rise, and all of a sudden the guy gets kind of priced out of where it makes sense to draft him. And I I just don't grasp it. I want to if I hear something from a coach, even though I know coaches lie or they mislead mislead the media and stuff. I would rather hear something from a coach than from a random dude sitting you know sitting in his office trying to come up with with you know ideas for the season. Here's a perfect example, Brad. To your point. I think this is a great example of what you're talking about here. Like this Rager news was Adam Kaplan, as you said, wrote a world and other sites threw it out there too, as like I said, as more news than just a prediction. And yet on the flip side, you and I are on the page of give us all the Clyde Edwards Hilaire because Andy Reid came out and loves the guy. And yet everybody pushes back and be like, uh, I don't know. Like he's, he's a rookie and you know, Damian Williams and like, and I know you've said your concerns about rookies in general, but if it not for that, you're still like people want to believe a beat writer versus the coach coming out and speaking positively. Yeah. And I, you know, where I love, I don't know that I love Edwards Hilaire for 2020 unless we're looking like, you know, if Damian Williams gets hurt, I think Damian Williams is the guy there and, and Edwards Hilaire will have a role, but I don't, if you have to take him in the top two rounds, forget that. Like that's there's just no way I'm I'm taking a rookie in the top two rounds this year, and it doesn't matter who it is or what offense they're in or whatever. Yeah, go back to Rager, and yeah, there there is theoretically it's theoretically possible that he is their number one wide receiver this year. That that's that's not bold. That could definitely happen, especially with the you know with Alshon having no timetable right now. Deshaun Jackson's always an injury risk. He's older. But you still got to have at least two, maybe three wide receivers on the field most of the time, uh, unless they're going to run two tight end sets all the time. And so who's the who's the other guy yeah. if they run three wide receivers? Is it Arcega Whiteside? Is it Marquise Goodwin? I mean, I like John Hightower, but he's a big time project. And and so you're back to Greg Ward again. Like, it, yeah, Rager's <laughs> gonna he he's a better athlete than all those guys all around. I mean, Deshaun Jackson's faster, but Rager is a better overall athlete. I love Rager, but I where he's gonna go after this news or this this quote unquote news pops across the wire, it prices me out on him because there's just no way I'm gonna take a shot on a rookie at, at the round that you have to take him in now. Yeah, he's going extremely high, and he was already going pretty high. Like there was a lot of drafts that I saw already where he was the first rookie wide receiver off the board. And whether or not you want to debate that, uh, not saying Brad or yeah, anybody that's, out that's there. That's a just, little crazy, but yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that that in and of itself with Justin Jefferson's target p- potential, like I still think people are overlooking him. And the Henry yeah, Ruggs, and you Lame know, and I love Judy the Henry too Ruggs. Are, aren't going anywhere. So Right. So, you know, we could debate that for a whole other day, but it's just, I'm with you. Is Even without that, his stock is going to rise to the point of being just too cost prohibitive. Like he hacks to be my bold prediction, top 25 wide receiver. Well, wide receiver too, so top 24. Uh, but that has to happen for the cost that you're going to pay for it. So, all right, last bit of quick news before we get to some more of the bold predictions. Uh, Dak Prescott signs his franchise tender. So, uh, so franchise tag, he's under it. They still have till July, whatever, to work out the long-term deal. But I just wanted to bring up the Cowboys in general with this news because one of the bowl predictions, go back to that, apparently we're going to get eight, seven or eight bowl predictions, so you still have to go read the rest of the article. I'm not giving it all away for free. But one of the ones I said is that Amari Cooper is going to be the worst Cowboys wide receiver. And that's bold because do I really think that happens at the end of the year if you're just doing rankings? Probably not. But if you're talking about a game-by-game consistency here, uh, I want to get your opinion as the Cowboys as a whole for two reasons. is the Amari Cooper versus CeeDee Lamb versus Michael Gallup 
but then the Blake Jarwin, because there's a lot of talk out there by the metrics people that on a per snap and this all, you, you've seen it. Everybody else is out there seeing it. Everybody's talking about Blake Jarwin. They're talking about the contract that he was given as well, even before the draft. But that's four pieces, including what Zeke's going to get out of the backfield. Somebody has to be left out, Brad. They're not throwing 700 times this year. Somebody's getting left out. Zeke is not going to get left out. Now, maybe Zeke doesn't get 90 targets, but you know whatever it is, he's going to be involved. You got to think that Cooper, as of day one, would still be the favorite, but somebody's left out here, Brad. Who are you leaving out? Who's the? Is it two people that you're just not going to touch at their price because there's no way to predict this offense right now? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I, I mean, Jarwin doesn't cost a lot. Um, you know, there's upside there, but it's just I don't know with with them spending the high the high draft capital on CD Lamb, it's hard to imagine him not being involved in some way. Uh, there's uh, we've discussed this many times before. I am completely out on Amari Cooper at his price. Like I wouldn't, I would, I would draft Debo Samuel before I took Amari Cooper right now. <laughs> and and there's so consequently, I will not have at any price. Amari Cooper on my at team. Price, yeah, at, to be at price, yeah, current price, but. In reality, even even before his injury, I would have probably taken Debo over Amari Cooper. I just don't buy into Amari. Well, yeah, Cooper I, I would have been in that on that full thing. Real quick, the when you're talking about Jarwin, does I wanted to add this while you're answering? Does the Mike McCarthy back with the Packers and basically never using a tight end with Aaron Rodgers? Does that come into your mind at all, or do you throw that kind of information out and say, "Nah, it's a different team, different situation, different player"? Um, I I'm not huge into the coach stuff, but it's it's. I mean, it's theoretically possible. It's, um, I think it's going to be kind of a mix. Like they're not going to just go and blow up what they have there. And at the same time, it's kind of like when, when Tom Brady comes into Tampa and and Arian says it's going to be kind of a mix of what Brady wants to do, what I want to do. I could see it being the same way in Dallas because they do have an elite quarterback who who had a lot of success in this offense. They don't want to go in and just try to reinvent the wheel in Dallas. Use the weapons they have already in place. Add CD Lamb to that mix. I I don't know. Like I, my biggest issue with Jarwin is he couldn't beat out Jason Witten last year. And if if he was as good as everybody thinks he is, there's no way Witten should have even been starting in that offense. They shouldn't have had to talk Witten out of coming out of the Monday Night Football booth to come back and play for them. Because if Jarwin was that good, they you can always get backup tight ends. It's not a depth thing. Witten was their starter, and he was brought back to be their starter. And I feel like that's a a big red flag for Blake Jarwin. Yeah, I could definitely see that as well. So if you had to choose right now, at, and we can say at cost, or you could just say head-to-head, not Cooper, but if you had to choose between Rookie Lamb or Michael Gallup, would you still lean oh. with the one that's played for at least a year? Um, I, Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I and, and I had good hesitation. success. Yeah, I, I've got both these guys so close in my head, in my rankings, because, and the biggest thing is CeeDee Lamb is, has the potential for volume because he's probably going to play in the slot. And but I love Gallup. I lo- like. I think I think they should try to trade Amari Cooper for Jamal Adams. And I don't know if the Jets would do that straight up. But address their safety situation. Figure out their you know make their wide receiver room a little less crowded. They probably just look at it like ah we want as many weapons on the field as we can because we're tougher to defend. Then but at that point from a fantasy standpoint, I don't honestly know that I could trust any of these guys because there's there's just the theory of it's going to be spread around so much that no one's going to have the volume that they need to get to 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 give you the rewards for where you got to draft them outside of Zeke. So Zeke's probably the only guy that I would be in at cost and everybody else I'm probably out. Well, to be and to be clear real quick, I I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think I know what you're saying. Is you're saying 
at the cost, like they might finish, like again, Amari Cooper might finish at wide receiver 15, but what you have to pay and the week to week consistency is going to be all over the map. And that's why you don't pay it. Yeah, correct. And, and, but I'll tell you who this is, a, who all these weapons are really good for is Dak. And now that he's in there, right. he's not going to be holding out. He's going to be able to keep chemistry going with these guys. I mean, I could see a scenario pretty easily where Prescott is, is a top three quarterback, if not higher, you know, see- maybe even one or two. What I'm going to compare it to is I'm going to compare it to Drew Brees before Michael Thomas was drafted. And the fact that like Brandon Cooks was like a mid-high wide receiver one. People remember like Willie Sneed back in the day, but he was like a wide receiver three or four. And then you had the other pieces. And I'm not saying, look, the talent is not the same. Like these three wide receivers are better than anything that obviously he had. Maybe Brandon Cooks would be in yeah. this mix. Marcus at that Colson, time of, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, though this is after Marcus Colson. I'm talking about that like, that brief interchangeable like period that was right after him, right before they drafted Michael Thomas, where it was just kind of like Brandon Cooks and like a mismatch. And there's, I'm just painting the comparison and the fact that what you're sure. saying is I agree with is that the spreading around that frustrated us for fantasy purposes of Drew Brees just finding whoever it was. Again, the talent is significantly better when you talk about three versus three wide receivers, but. It's going to be, you know, again, Cooper this week, Gallup this week, CeeDee Lamb, CeeDee Lamb, Jarwin, and they're all left out. Like, you just don't know, and that's I'm with you. That's why I'm off on a lot of those guys. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You could save even more with a monthly subscription and for 25% off your first order. Go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code FOOTBALL at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code FOOTBALL for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code FOOTBALL. Let's get back to the bowl predictions because you, agree, you agreed with Rigger, so you agreed with two more. Um, the one is the one that it's funny. It's one of the ones that I believe the least. And that's the one that you actually liked was Teddy Bridgewater as a top 10 quarterback, because I had so much pushback when I had DJ Moore down at like wide receiver 23 people losing their damn minds about why. First of all, DJ Moore, I don't want to go on a DJ Moore tangent real quick, Brad, but he was wide receiver 16 last year. Like, okay. Wide receiver 16 to wide receiver 23 is like, a touchdown if that like maybe a half of a touchdown to for him to go to for wide receiver 16 to wide receiver 12 again it's not that big of a difference and i say that to say wide receiver 12 to wide receiver 23 now that's maybe a touchdown so let's chill out it's not that disrespectful one touchdown can move some guy 15 spots dj moore out of the way but the reason i'm concerned about dj moore it's because they bring in Robbie Anderson, and not that Robbie Anderson is anything to really scare you away from more, but Robbie Anderson, Ian Thomas stepping forward with Greg Olson gone, Curtis Samuel is still there, McCaffrey is still going to be the number one, getting over 100 targets out of that backfield. I just have doubts about Teddy Bridgewater, and it's not even just Teddy Bridgewater as a 
deep ball thrower, which we know his like lack of ability there. It's is he going to throw it six hundred times? Because if he throw, if you told me today, Brad, if you said Teddy Bridgewater's throwing it six hundred times, I'd say you know what, I need to move up DJ Moore. But I don't think he does. And I've brought up Joe Brady on this show before, saying that could be the magic bullet to make Teddy Bridgewater QB one territory. I just have doubts about Teddy Bridgewater as a player, and that's why it was one of my most hesitant bowl predictions, but you seem to like it. Yeah, and I, the biggest thing is there are weapons around. They're, and they talk about, you know, they're talking up Curtis Samuel now, and that doesn't even, no one has mentioned Robbie Anderson since he signed. And I, I don't like Robbie Anderson in fantasy, but Robbie Anderson in football can be a massive weapon for, for an NFL team just to take the top off a of defense, to, to force safeties back and open up the field for DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel underneath. There are weapons everywhere. Ian Thomas, you know, for all these guys to be relevant, it's kind of like the Dallas situation. For all these guys to be relevant, they're going to have to throw the ball on a ton, like just way, way more than, I mean, last year they, but last year they threw the ball as a team 633 times. And there, it's very possible that they do that again because their team is not going to be that good. At least the defense is not going to be that good, especially now that Luke kikwi has gone. That makes it even worse. But they, it's, I think they went, I, if I remember correctly, I think I remember seeing this, that this is the right team. The Panthers drafted, every single draft pick was a defensive player, if I remember correctly. They're trying to address what they know is a weakness because they are loaded on offense. Immense talent everywhere and that's why I think Bridgewater can be good it's the Dak Prescott corollary where yes Dak is better than Bridgewater I'm not saying they're the same but when you have that many weapons around him oh he's he's a short ball thrower get the ball in the hands of Curtis Samuel get the ball in the hands of DJ Moore these guys are yak monsters like crazy then you've got Robbie Anderson taking the top off (laughs) Kurt Kurt, you know yeah yak monsters um, McCaffrey coming out of the backfield Ian Thomas down the seam. Like, what is there not to like about this? It's, that's five elite athletes that he can throw to on any given play. It's not, he doesn't have to do a whole lot himself. He just needs to get the ball to them. And that's why I think once he does that, he can he can become, uh, theoretically, a top 10 quarterback in fantasy because it's, it's, I think I could almost be a top 10 quarterback in fantasy with, those, with weapons like that around me. And I know nothing. I've never played a down to football in my life. <laughs> I, I could definitely see that. I'm laughing at DVR saying <laughs> yak, yak monster is a road aware shirt. I like that. Uh, it's a, it, here's, I got to go back to one thing as well as you said, the, the attempts from last year. A lot of people are talking about what I just said before I even threw it to you is Joe Brady. Do, I keep pointing this out. People seem to have like overlooked, forgotten, whatever you want to put. The Panthers were already number one in pace of play last year. Already, they were top five in every single category, whether it's within seven points, whether it's in seven points with the lead or behind, whether it's up by two scores, with down by two. They were number one and not top five across the board in pace of play. That's my concern. Like, how much they don't really have that much more room to grow. And again, it goes back to Teddy Bridgewater is even if he does have 600 attempts, the yards per attempt. Or we're talking some of the worst numbers you've seen. I mean, we're talking outside the top 20, outside the top 25, like 7.2, 7.3. And with the Saints and Michael Thomas last year, with the Saints that he played for last year, tons of weapons there. Maybe not as many wide receivers, obviously, after Michael Thomas. But with that, he actually went down in yards per attempt last year, Brad. Yeah, and, and that's... I mean, some of that is because they, I think they figured out Michael Thomas can be anybody in short, in short spaces. Like he, he doesn't need to be 15, 20 yards downfield to beat guys. 
so why why take the risk? Essentially, they've right. got other guys that can go deep. But you you look at I mean even the two games that Cam Newton started last year before he got hurt, he threw the ball eighty nine times, forty you know roughly forty five passes a game, and that was with Cam Newton starting. And they won both of those games. By the way, they won their first two games. They st- or sorry, I'm I'm sorry, they lost the first two games, but then they won the next four after that when Kyle Allen stepped in. They were four and two at one point, and then they had their bye week and collapsed after that. I think they went like one and nine or something after their bye week. They Kyle Allen, if Kyle Allen threw the ball 500 times in in 12 games, 12 starts, 13 games, 12 starts, then absolutely Bridgewater can throw the throw the ball more. And that's when you you bring in a guy who's a very offensive minded, up tempo, um, throw the ball like crazy offense, like he had at LSU. Yeah, like that that could theoretically happen with Bridgewater. I could totally see 600 passes being being very realistic for him. All right, well, I'll give you this. Of all the quarterbacks last year to attempt 600 passes, Tom Brady was the lowest at QB 12 or 13, depending on your league. So there you go. It's just a pure volume thing. Right. If you told, Like I said, if you guaranteed today 600 pass attempts, I would move Teddy Bridgewater and DJ Moore and the rest of them up. I mean, it would just be a volume. That's a waterfall effect. All right, so the one other one that we already talked about, Rager, the one other one you agreed with, um, not necessarily surprised to me. I just didn't expect you to take this one. Is I said for the Denver Broncos that Philip Lindsay was going to outscore Melvin Gordon, and I went on to explain why. I went on to explain that people seem to have forgotten that for two straight years that Philip Lindsay's rushed for a thousand yards and a very nice clip on a yards per carry average and being used inside the twenty and inside the ten. And I'm not saying they didn't side Melvin Gordon to take a lot of that work, especially some of that short yardage game. But we're talking about somebody with great receiving ability as well and Melvin Gordon for his entire career Brad you probably I I don't know if you just took the title or if you read the explanation but if you read the explanation you know the answer do you know how many seasons Melvin Gordon's averaged over 3.9 yards per carry uh I'm gonna throw I I did I read I read it but I don't (laughs) like I don't remember because I read all of them but it's just one it's just one how about zero I was gonna say zero yeah because it's he's never been efficient. He's never been efficient. And that's my thing. Lindsay is efficient. And now they're putting Lindsay into a role where he's better suited to be a pass catching running back and not an every down guy. He's tiny, um, but he's proven he can do it. And he is, is now going to be getting out in space. Um, I, I don't like, I'm not a big believer in drew lock throwing the ball long, long term down the field. And so I think the the short swing passes to running backs are going to be, viable options for him and then melvin gordon's uh, definitely got injury risk i mean he's he's dealt with it several times in his career and if he goes down there's no question they'll just start giving the ball to Lindsay. like they Lindsay's proven he can be an every down back if not for a full season for for 13 14 games in a season and so i think there's a really good chance that the gordon only ends up playing 10 or 12 games and Lindsay's going to he could very much do what austin eckler did to melvin gordon in in you know, in San Diego or LA where Eckler is still becoming a high volume player, even with Gordon on the field. And then all of a sudden Gordon goes down and he gets way more volume and he ends up being, I could, I mean, I could see there, you know, theoretically a possibility of Philip Lindsay being a top 10 running back. And I'm, I'm not going to project that, but I, I could see it in a range of outcomes just because of the talent there and, and the injury risk to Gordon. Yeah, and again, we talked about it in the last show for that draft that I was in. Philip Lindsay is just falling to a ridiculously low spot in drafts right now, which I am baffled by. Even if forget this bold prediction, Brad. Like we talked about it on that show. Like, why is Philip Lindsay as 
like just talk about handcuff purposes. Like we we talk about the fact, just build your running back depth. Don't overrate handcuffs. But for the people that are, or just the thought process in general, as a handcuff alone, Alexander Madison, and I understand Delvin Cook might hold out, and that's the concern there. But Madison's going like three rounds earlier than her. Like I I don't understand what the perception or what happened where Philip Lindsay is just all of a sudden falling off draft boards. Go get the value. There's one of your examples of being able to draft early. Go grab the value now. Obviously, Debo Samuel's the downside. There's always risk about that. But people like Lindsay is why you do draft early. All right, so the two that I want to get to before we get out of here that you disagreed with. Uh, the first one, I don't want to say it was easy, but I'm going to throw something out, Brad, and this might take your entire argument off the table, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I said I, I try to. If you notice in the bowl predictions, except for the Houston Texans, because it's Brandon Cooks, it's Will Fuller, so there's 80 bajillion injuries on that team. I tried to stay away from injuries. Like I tried to stay away from well, well, you know, like I didn't go out there and say, well, if Tom Brady gets hurt, you know, the whoever was it, Mike Glennon or who's back there now? No, not Mike Glennon. Um, who's the terrible one? Uh, Blake uh, Blaine Gabbard. He's there now, right? He's the backup in Tampa Bay. Uh, yeah, I think th- I think that's, that's right. right. Yep. Like, so I didn't say, like, Tom Brady gets hurt and Blaine Gabbert's a QB1. Like, so I was trying to stay away from injury. You have, my bold prediction was Derrick Henry is the first running back since 2006 to rush for 20-plus touchdowns, which has only happened 11 times in the history of football. I was actually a little surprised by that. It felt like there was a little few more than that. So are you only taking injury? Because you can't only take injury as your argument here. Um. No, not solely. I just, it's okay. more, I don't know that he is going to be as efficient this year as he was last year because I think the last year's workload, whether it leads to an injury or not, he will not be as as strong this year later in the season because he, I mean, he had over 400 carries last year. That's just the, the I don't care how big and strong and fast he is, the toll that that takes on your body is no, counting the playoffs. Counting the playoffs, he was over. Oh, okay. I was going to say, and, like, and, I'm a regular station you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, a, over 400 carries on the year. And so that's, it's just a a massive toll on your body. I think there's a, number one, I think there's a good chance he does get hurt. But number two, I, even if he doesn't get hurt, at some point, that physical toll will wear him down. It doesn't matter how big and strong he is. I don't think he is going to be as good in the second half as he's been the last two years. Okay, and that's certainly I'll take that as like I said, no injury aside. The positives I threw for him is the fact that the eleven running backs to do so, uh, Joe Morris was the only one to not hit three hundred and thirteen carries, but he wasn't that far behind from three hundred. It's two ninety four. Um, all those other guys, three hundred thirteen plus, he came off three hundred three regular season carries and the goal to go. So inside the 10, 24 attempts where CMC cook and Chubb had 32. So I think there's even more usage potential inside the 10. Again, it would be the 12th player to do it. And all the reasons that you just said, and we saw what happened to Zeke, you know, the Zeke was still great, but he wasn't the Zeke of that year where he just had the touchings every single week. So I certainly understand. Uh, I just didn't want to make sure his injury. So the last one and this one, I got you know what I, I I wonder if we're gonna get the biggest argument yet on this one. Now I don't have Thielen <laughs> as a top five wide receiver, but I do have Thielen locked inside my top ten, and that's why I said to go bold. I would have to put him inside my top five. Adam Thielen. I brought up Justin Jefferson before. Justin Jefferson's a rookie. Adam Thielen is somebody who's finished as high as wide receiver seven. Oh what? 2018, just two years ago. Here's another one like Philip Lindsay. People have forgotten that Adam Thielen is a very, very, very talented wide receiver who in that season in 2018, Stefan Diggs still had a ton of targets going his way. 
Adam Thielen's in line for 150 targets. Like, I, I just don't see, if you want to talk about volume, and we're going back to the, the Teddy Bridgewater argument about throwing 600 times, if you're going to give me blank wide receiver with 150 targets, I'm going to have a hard time not seeing him inside the top 10, potentially top five. Yeah, and I, I mean, I understand why you made the prediction. I just, like, it's when I look at who I have to, who would have to fall out of there to make room for him, I just can't, I can't see any of that happening. There would, because there would literally have to be, where I've got him ranked, there would literally have to be 14 guys coming out of there, because I've got him as a wide receiver, too. Wait, I don't have him You got him at 15? I've got, yeah. Well, to get it, so to get him into the top five, he would need. I would need ten guys to fall out roughly, and so yeah, I it's it's just hard to envision him. I don't care. I understand he's talented. I I understand the opportunities there, but I number one, I don't like Adam Thielen playing outside very much. I he's so much better in the slot, and it sounds like Justin Jefferson's going to be playing mostly in the slot. And I don't know, Adam Thielen is the kind of guy I feel like can be shut down by a number one corner. And I don't know what he's going to be doing against number one corners. And the injury thing that happened to him last year, I realize you you didn't want to discuss injury, you know, in your predictions. But the injury thing that happened to him last year, he had a little tweaked hamstring. Then he came back too soon, one play into a game. And then he missed like a month after that, or, or and maybe even longer. That concerns me because he is an older player, even though he hadn't, you know, he hasn't been fantasy relevant for that long because he was so so old when he broke out. I, I'm concerned about the him being able to last 16, 16, 17 games, 17 weeks against number one coverage where he's getting just beat down at times when that wasn't the case last year when Diggs was on the outside. Diggs was always getting the number one coverage and, and Thielen was getting, you know, second guy slot reps, that kind of stuff. And I just don't see that happening in their offense this year. All right, so I'm so glad you said that. That not that part. I'm so glad you said the outside part because I'm about to smash your perception. I went back when Kirk Cousins was signed by the Vikings, and it continued in that first the 2018 season. Uh, Adam Thielen was actually better outside than he was inside, and he was better than Diggs, and he was better than his own play inside. It's a bad perception, and I'm clear that like I, I don't want to be like ah oh, ha ha got you, but, but I, I am. But is of. it is it a small sample size because the majority of his no, no, routes no. were running the slot? No, this is goes. This is from his numbers from for 2018. This is before. This is the 2017 numbers, and then including the 2018 numbers where he had 153 targets. Uh, 153. Let me double check real quick. It's like 153, and Diggs had 149, and it was when he was outside versus inside. So, I mean, you might call it limited, as in it's not somebody who ran the entire season out there. But the, and the only reason I know this is at the time in 2018, I wrote the article saying. Where are the tendencies for quarterbacks switching teams? And I said, you know, the, a lot of concerns are, are they going to use Diggs in the slot? Are they going to use Thielen in the slot? Because Kirk Cousins, his tendency was to go to the slot, and that's why. So I wrote all that, and I found out. And so Thielen actually performs better outside. It's not leaps and bounds, but at least it's not a drop-off. And that's what I wanted to point out, is that he didn't have a drop-off when he was playing outside against top corners for two straight years. Again, he has great numbers in the slot. You're not wrong there, but the perception that he plays worse outside is a wrong one. And I was, does that help your opinion? And maybe you want to slide him up a little bit, or are you going to stay pat on Adam Thielen not being a top ten? You got to at least put him aside the top ten. Come on. No, there's no way. There's no way. And I, but I, I'm not saying it changes my perception, but I, I also feel like when Diggs was on the other side, Diggs was always getting number one treatment, and and Thielen was always against number two, and that's not there anymore. And so yes. Thielen has had success on the outside, but not in in this lineup they're putting on the field. I'm he, I'm gonna have to see it before I start ranking him in the top ten, even on a weekly basis, um, because it, it's just 
I'm going to have to see him prove that he can handle the number one duties on a team, you know, a, a year older in a team that loves to run the ball. And, and I don't know how, I mean, he's, he's 30, is he 30 years old now? 29. He'll be 30 as soon as the season starts. So, and that's, yeah. that's just, to me, there's going to be some, some regression there. Um, I don't care what the role is. I, I just don't know that he's, he's going to be able to handle the number one coverage on a week in week out basis. Yeah, that's fine. Disrespected out of college, disrespected in the NFL, disrespected by Brad on June 13th, or June 13th, June 24th. <laughs> I remember that today. Top 10, lock, potentially top five. But, and as always, make sure you head over to The Athletic. You can check out the rest of the bowl predictions and you get ticked off at them like everybody else in the comments and your favorite player that I hate or favorite team or whatever it was. Yeah, have fun. A lot of fun comments in there. I expected this should be a fun article. I wasn't expecting so much backlash. Jeez, people. In any case, follow Brad at Brad Ziegler. Check out the draft kit. 30 days free, 50% off. Pick one of them. Take the 50% off. Trust me. Uh, I'm at All In Kid. We'll be back next week to talk about those bangles. Uh, maybe some Justin Ross news and a lot of other things. Good times to get you ready as the draft season is getting closer and closer. Yay, football, at least for now. Mm-hmm.